So we're trying out something new here this morning with this uh, uh, table, and uh, we're just going to see how it works. Gives a little more of a, I think, a little more of a casual feel in, in, in some ways. We're not standing behind something. We're standing with something. And uh, so um, I, I kind of like that feel a bit. So uh, we're just going to uh, see how this, this works uh, for us. Um, A.W. Tozer, whom many of you may be familiar with and uh, have read some of his books, my favorite book is uh, his writing, The Knowledge of the Holy. Uh, I just can't get enough of that book. I just, but there's a, there's a quote out of it that has, has really stuck with me uh, over the years, and it's, it's this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If this is true, and, and, and I, I really do believe that it is, then what we will consider from Peter's list of godly virtues today is of vital importance in addressing our response to how we shall then live. It is among the most significant statements on being transformed by Jesus that we will find. And so let's pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in our understanding this morning. And Father, we have um, acknowledged again that you are here. And, and, and Jesus said that when he departed that he would send the Holy Spirit to be our guide and teacher. We believe that you are present among us by your Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to be our teacher. To help us understand and to live out the truths of the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. So Peter writes in First Peter, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, where we have been parked for a couple of weeks, and we'll be here for a few more weeks, these words. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness Knowledge. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. We need more knowledge. But the question is, what kind of knowledge do we need to increase? Well, before we answer this question, I, I would like to just kind of go back, review a little bit of, of where we've been. Peter has been outlining for us the way to finding purposeful living from God's perspective. Life to the full, he teaches, hinges on the development of the divine nature that exists in all who have believed on Jesus as the one who forgives them from their sin and then initiates and perfects a most precious faith within them. Everything we need for experiencing a life enriched by godliness has been made available to us. We enter into this way of living by trusting in God's ability through Jesus Christ, our Savior, to release us from a life corrupted by our natural desires. Faith is the foundational piece of God, on, on which godly character is built. But faith that leads us nowhere is not faith at all. So Peter introduces the need for more action to be attached to our basic faith response to God. There are seven additional behavioral traits that Peter identifies that need to be developed in order to gain the quality of life that God lays out for us. 
We are told to add to our faith goodness. Now, goodness, we saw last time, has more to do with who we are than with what you do. Being good is initially more essential than doing good. This approach to goodness aligns us with God's heart and leads to the release of His divine nature within us. Now, once we have settled the need for our lives to be marked by more goodness, Peter says, and add to your goodness knowledge. Now, it's not without purpose, I think, that Peter speaks of pursuing more knowledge after he tells us to add goodness to our life's mix. In a consumer-oriented culture that's all about me, the possibility of using more of anything to advance others can be a pretty hard sell. When Peter calls us to gain more knowledge, the natural tendency is to leverage this increased knowing to improve our chances of getting ahead. Knowledge has the very real prospect of adding something else to our lives, something that is totally out of character with God, and that is pride. Knowledge can easily puff up our egos, turn us into know-it-alls, know-it-alls, poison us into thinking that we are better than others, make us into thought bullies who impose our way of thinking on weaker minds. And so there's a caution that must be attached to the idea of needing more knowledge. When it comes to gaining more knowledge, it is important to start at the top of Peter's page on knowing more. The word knowledge appears four times in the opening statements of 2 Peter chapter 1. In verse 2, in verse 3, in verse 5, and verse 8. The first time that Peter uses the word knowledge is in verse 2 where he states, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Savior. Knowledge, the kind that leads us to knowing what life is truly all about, comes in the context of God's grace and peace. We know what life to the full is like because God has graciously granted to us an understanding of what this looks like. He has revealed it to us in the person of Jesus who makes known to us the way to God. The accompaniment to this understanding is peace. And so when we know God, we know grace and peace. The second occurrence of the word is in verse 3 where Peter states his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. In contrast to the commonly held thought that ignorance is bliss, Peter speaks of knowledge bringing us into the blissful prospect of living under the glory and goodness of God. This life that God has in mind for us is shaped by the promise of the impartation of His divine nature in us. Once understood, this knowledge that God resides within us by His Spirit acts to bring the power and glory of God to bear upon our lives. Wisdom then leads us into living continually in the conscious presence of His provision. The third occurrence of knowledge is in, in verse 5, and we'll come back to that in uh, just a few moments. The fourth use of the word by Peter is found in verse 8. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The end of knowledge as described by the apostle is that we know Christ and that we make him known. The truth of the matter is that knowledge becomes a limited commodity if there is no outlet for it to expand. And so Peter links a life of godliness to the understanding that comes through knowing the one who imparts his divine nature in us. The key to realizing the power of God in our lives is found in Peter's use of the preposition through. The hope for escaping the corruption of our natural desires comes through our knowledge of him who rescues us from the nonsense of ungodliness. Knowledge acts like a conduit, transporting the impact of godliness upon practical living. In other words, knowledge brings to us more grace and peace, life and godliness, and is the key to effectiveness and productivity. Altogether, knowledge provides us with an abundance of -of top-of-the-page insight into what makes life work. Now, for most of us, when we think of knowledge, we think of collecting information, learning facts, increasing skills, becoming educated. Knowledge has a pretty high value in our culture. Education was of such a high value to me with our children that I threatened not to perform any of their marriages until they had at least finished their undergraduate work. I'd seen too many couples in university get married and become pregnant in the first year of marriage, which usually meant that the wife never finished her degree, and I didn't want to see that happen. We are living in an age when information shaping our knowledge base is exploding. Bookminster Fuller created the knowledge doubling curve. He noticed that until 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately every century. By the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. By early 1980, he concluded that knowledge was doubling every 12 to 13 months. Today, things are not as simple as different types of knowledge have different rates of growth. However, according to IBM, the build-out of the Internet of Things will lead to the doubling of knowledge every 12 hours. It has been observed that we live in a world that puts information at our fingertips, but tends to keep wisdom out of reach. I suppose it is only natural for us, then, whenever there is talk about knowing God, to think in terms of knowing more about Him, of studying His ways, of becoming more educated in the things of God. And certainly there is much truth to be found in in this approach. I don't want to diminish that. However, the biblical idea of knowing is a very personal activity. The Old Testament writers use the word know to describe closeness in relationships between people and has a special reference to the sexual intimacy experienced between husband and wife. Then in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul states that Jesus knew no sin, meaning that he had no relationship with it. And so when Peter instructs us to grow in our knowledge of God, he is directing us to go deeper in our love relationship with Jesus. The path towards gaining more knowledge is revealed 
in relationship. When I first became acquainted and began to notice the girl who, I, who would eventually become my wife, I started to become familiar with some facts about her. I knew her address. I knew her telephone number. We didn't have email back and then, so that was kind of the limit of it. I knew where she went to school, what grade she was in, who her friends were. I knew that she was 14, and her parents said that she couldn't date until she was 15. But hey, I thought I'd give it a try. Her father said no. So I tell people now that the first time I asked out my wife, her father turned me down. However, the things I know about my wife now are nothing to what they were, they were like when I first met her. I've grown so much in my knowledge of her because of the 40 plus years that we have experienced in marriage relationship. I know what makes her laugh and what makes her cry. I know what moves her close to me and then pushes her away. I know her likes and her dislikes. And then I know that there are some things about her being a woman that only God knows. I may never understand. But the knowledge that Peter is calling us to is not found in creed or confession or statement of faith, but in a loving relationship with a person. And specifically, as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. Knowledge comes from being rightly related to Jesus, who declares himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. So what is it that we need to know? Well, know this. Knowledge is personal. We are to know not something, but someone. We are to simply know Christ. This, of course, includes knowing about Him, but it covers off much more than knowing some facts retaining to Jesus and relating to Jesus. It involves gaining insight into His passion and personality. I think we've robbed the truth about knowing Christ of its joy by attaching to our knowledge of Him the keeping of belief statements, assigned behaviors, and church policies that we can check off as having done. Jesus is not a checklist. He is the object and end of all of our doctrines and dogmas and distinctives. They all exist to point us to the person of Christ, not to themselves. And so after outlining his pedigree as a religious extremist, fanatical about keeping the law to its most intricate detail, the Apostle Paul declared that he had dumped it all from his life like stinking trash in order to embrace the high privilege of knowing Christ firsthand. When it comes to gaining more knowledge that will bring about the life God intends for us, the old saying is true. It's not what you know, but who you know. The wisdom of God is not truth explained, but truth experienced. Leonard Sweet has stated, Knowing is experiencing the thing that we know. And so when you know Jesus, your interest is more about desiring His presence than satisfying your inquiries. Which brings me to the second thing that you need to know. Besides knowing that knowledge is personal, you need to know that you don't know it all. 
Now I would like to go back to look at, again, at verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Here Peter writes, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge. Now the word that Peter uses for knowledge in the context of verse 5 is actually different from the ones that he's used in the other verses that we have considered. Having established the fact that the primary pursuit of our knowing is personal over ritual, there is still the need to acquire knowledge through exploration. The intent behind the knowledge Peter speaks to in verse 5 is more about gathering information, digging for understanding, learning the facts. It is the knowledge of inquiry and discovery. And it takes some effort, as Peter indicates. It's an ongoing learning process, a lifelong pursuit. And as such, it may be described as incomplete knowledge due to the unending nature to its discovery. There are limiting factors that must be considered. The limitation implied by Peter's use of knowledge here is a reference to the fact that when it comes to knowing all about what God is up to in our lives, there is a gap in our understanding. We may think that we know what God is doing when pain overtakes us, or our world comes crashing down, or we are misunderstood and isolated. But really, we don't. Or on the other hand, when life is going up and to the right, when blessings abound, when everything we touch turns to gold, and we jump to the conclusion that God must be really happy about how we are living, that may or may not be the case. The reality is, is that we don't always have a clear picture of why God allows certain things to happen to us. Some time ago, a friend sent me a link to a YouTube video entitled, God's Mysterious Ways. When I clicked on the link and it opened up to a Rowan Atkinson clip, I thought, hmm, this could be a little interesting. Some of you may better know Rowan Atkinson as Mr. Bean. Well, in the video, Atkinson is portraying a priest speaking on the topic of God's mysterious ways to a convention of priests. It has its humorous parts, as one would expect. But as he concludes his talk, he quotes from Isaiah 55, 8, which says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Atkinson's character leans forward into the mic and speaking with a soft but deliberate voice concludes by saying that what he thinks God means by this is, I'm mysterious, folks. Live with it. (laughs) The knowledge we need to increase is one that adds to our capacity to embrace our life's circumstances with the awareness that God sovereignly acts on our behalf. Nothing ever touches our lives that He does not know about and is filtered with His love-based understanding. And so with the Apostle Paul, we are able to exclaim, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Let me say that this kind of knowledge doesn't just happen overnight. It comes little by little, day by day, time after time, surrender of your well-being to the one who knows all. 
It comes from knowing this, that you are fully known by God. Our capacity to add knowledge to our character development depends upon the thoroughness of our understanding that we are fully known by God. When Peter speaks of God having provided everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us, he is acknowledging God's full understanding of our personal makeup. He is telling us that God knows us completely and furthermore has fully made himself known to us. It is reminiscent of Jesus' statement that he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. He calls his sheep by name and they recognize his voice. Peter's reference to knowledge in the context of the call of God upon our lives has the meaning of God knowingly intervening on our behalf. It is knowledge that is complete, that needs no additions. God's knowledge of us is that he understands our needs and offers his grace and abundance and, 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 and grace and peace in abundance to us. It is God revealing his glory and goodness in all of its fullness. It is simply knowing that God knows your name and your name is safe in his mouth. I can't help but wonder as I reflect on what Peter has written here. If he ever thought as he was writing these words to make every effort to add knowledge to your experience with God, if his mind would drift back to that dark night when he denied three times that he knew Jesus. If so, then he would have undoubtedly recalled that one question that Jesus had for him, that same question that he asked Peter three times. Peter, do you love me? And finally, with an unmistakable tone of desperation in his response, Peter replied, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. This is the most marvelous knowledge of all knowing that the one who knows all things knows us and securely holds us in our love for him. For Peter, this awareness would have come slowly at first. His great failure on that night when Jesus needed him the most undoubtedly haunted him. But he kept adding to his faith the knowledge that he belonged until one day he just knew it. So what do you do with this knowledge? Live with it. Let's pray. And so, Father, as we have pushed through this passage of Scripture, at first glance, there may be, we may think that, well, that's kind of easy. We just get a little more fact. We get to know you a little more, and we add it to our faith, and we keep moving on. But, Oh, there's so much more that we need to plumb from the depths of what it means to be known by you and to really know you. And so I pray that you will help us here to understand that when we are to add knowledge to our faith, there's a deep personal component to that. We add you into our faith mix so that we understand 
that in spite of all that may come our way, there's hope. There's hope because you know us. You know our names. You know our situations. You know all about us. And you want to bring that knowledge into us in such a way that your divine nature just captures us and we know. We know that we are known. We know who you are. And we relish that knowledge. And so we pray that you will just help us to grasp this and apply it to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to do something uh, for me this morning. I'd like you to um, either uh, take up your bulletin. Uh, there's sermon notes. Uh, there's space for sermon notes in there. Maybe you've been writing in there already. Or you, if, you, if you're in the habit of uh, using your, your handheld device and, and, and putting notes on, uh, on that, I'd, I'd like you to either take the bulletin or a piece of paper or your, your smartphone or whatever and, and write down your response to this statement. Ramona asked us earlier in the service to kind of speak out things about God that we, we know. I'd like you to be able to kind of grapple with something here this morning and take it with you as, as we leave. So I would like you to write your response on, your, on the sermon notes or whatever, to this. This is what I just know to be true about Jesus. This is what I just know to be true about Jesus. I'm going to give you a moment just to jot that down. Maybe he's my friend, he's my savior, he knows all about me. You know, there may be a number of things that, that the Spirit will prompt in your mind. Just take a moment and write it down. Okay, if you got it. Now here's what I would like to ask you to do with what you have just written. Every morning when you wake up, either your alarm wakes you up or you just kind of wake up. Before you jump out of bed and begin your day, I'd like to encourage you just to lay there for a moment and begin your day by saying, this. Jesus, I just know you are, and then put in there whatever you have just written. Then ask Jesus to empower you to live in the reality of what you know to be true about him as you go throughout that day, go, go throughout your day. Okay? Do that? All right. Worship team, come and lead us. The Apostle Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. I remember as a late teen, young adult, um, I'd actually been in a car accident and it was my fault. And I remember being in the, uh, the hospital. I wasn't hurt seriously, but being there and my youth pastor came in and I thought, man, I'm going to put on a bold front and be really spiritual. <laughs> and so I said, yeah, you know, I know that God works all things for the good of those who love him. <laughs> and I stopped there and he looked at me and he said, yeah, but you didn't finish the verse. Because it goes on to say, 
who have been called according to his purpose to shape us and mold us into the likeness of Christ. And so we know things about God. But he wants us to know more than just things about him. He wants us to learn to lean into him so that we experience the fullness of his presence in our hearts and in our lives. And so to God's glory and to his goodness, may the peace and grace and love and mercy and knowledge rest upon you as you leave this place and go out and function in the world where God has placed you to know him there and to make him known. God bless you all. We do have our prayer team that uh, is uh, available and uh, so come and meet with them if you have something that you would like to have prayer for. Thank you.